Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Hey guys, welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Matt Sky, and I'm here with the ARC team. We've got Rich Pasqua and Jared Nicastra, one of our producers. And uh, Rich, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Jared? Not, we won't let Jared speak for himself. We'll let you speak for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, you know, it, it, it's a pleasure to have uh, Jared join us. Um, he is a phenomenal team member helping us across producing the podcasts, editing, um, he does a lot of research and and design production. So um, he's he touches a lot of stuff that we we work on. But also he's you know he's a smart guy that is got his head in the whole entire blockchain space, especially around the NFT uh, NFT space. He's been quite active. So welcome, Jared. We'd love to have you here, and uh, let's get kicked off. And yeah. apparently. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jared. <laughs> I just wanted to say, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, as Rich said, I kind of have been living in this, you know, NFT crypto world for, I would say, a little over a year now, kind of head first. Um, just to give a little more background, um, I, yeah, as Rich said, I kind of work as a production designer here at ARC. And, um, yeah, I hope I can kind of offer a unique perspective on kind of the crypto and NFT world. Um, I'm also 22 years old, so and I come from kind of the digital space. So, um, again, hopefully can offer that unique perspective. And thanks for having you me. You always guys. do, buddy. You always do. Okay. The second I hear 22 years old, I suddenly realize how old 38 feels. <laughs> <laughs> but let's I'm going to leave my age out of it. Yeah. Uh, how, well, I'm curious, but okay, well, then another podcast. Um, let's jump in because we got that. We have crazy news this week. I mean, I think we would be uh, ridiculous to not mention this is the week of the merge. We just saw Ethereum uh, move to proof of stake from proof of work. And uh, it's a pretty significant thing. Let me just give kind of some some of the figures, I think, as if anyone wouldn't know. But uh, this is a quote from The Verge. Ethereum's electricity use is expected to drop by a whopping 99.9888% post-merge. That's according to analysis from Crypto Carbon Ratings Institute. The network was previously using 23 million megawatts per year. And now moving forward, it's expected to use just over 2,600 megawatts per year. So they're saying to visualize that, imagine the Eiffel Tower shrinking to that of a Lego toy person. So this is a dramatic energy improvement. And there's a lot to this. There's a lot of elements. There's some controversy. There are people who want to continue mining. But Rich, this is what I was going to ask you off the podcast. I'll ask you on the podcast. Is <laughs> How does this affect Bitcoin? Because to me this might put Bitcoin in a weird place because you have Ethereum now that is, it's going to win the narrative as far as carbon footprint by a long shot. And it still has a very, very big user base. Yeah, it's a good question. Let me just preface this. We are not financial analysts and this is not financial advice. Not financial advice. I forgot uh, to say it, but very true. It, yeah, these are our opinions, and these are the things that we talk about as a company and as a group of people and colleagues um, on a daily basis, and this is us sharing what we talk about. So um, to get to your question, it's a really good question. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be asking uh, uh, about this. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, with the Ethereum merge and the lack of physical miners or hardware miners, um, it's a, it poses an interesting question, like who's going to, you know, where are those miners going to go? What are they going to do? What are they going to start to mine and, and, and validate? Um, <clears throat> and how will it affect Bitcoin? Uh, you know, personally, from a monetary standard, um, I see Ethereum as, and this is the whole thing with the merge and the lightning network and the speed and efficiency that's all put in place because of the amount of transactions that are happening now and for the foreseeable future, will, which will grow exponentially um, through um, organizations, you know, making trades, um, you know, purchasing. 
right down to regular folks buying NFTs and and other products on on the internet. Now, how will it affect Bitcoin? Um, I don't think it'll affect Bitcoin tremendously. I mean, if you watch, they generally kind of pace together, uh, you know, in their ups and downs within within the marketplace. But I always see Bitcoin as a store of value, almost like true gold, right? So you have fiat, which you buy your coffees with every day and purchase your everyday goods with. Um, then you have gold or even stocks that you're, you're investing in, you know, blue chip stocks. Um, that's where you want to keep your money safe and have it grow exponentially over time. That's the idea with Bitcoin. You know, you'll never really see people trading. I mean, you'll see people trading on, on exchanges, but Bitcoin is something you hold on to. Uh, you, you know, you care for it. You keep it safe. Um, water it twice and, a day. <laughs> you water it twice a day. And then, you know, um, when you want to trade, you trade or take earnings. Um, but I see Ethereum as, you know, a faster, um, you know, a more detailed um, platform to build applications on. And really, that's the future of what we're looking at. And that's when transactions and dApps become more prevalent. Um, and that's where, you know, people are going to be building on top of the Ethereum network as they are um, and and using using it as a monetary way to kind of build and transact on a daily basis. Jared, what do you think from your undisclosed basement location of the merge? Any any thoughts? We're looking at the price. The price is pretty much stable at this moment of the recording, 1486, 87. Um, yeah, I think the sentiment around the merge was, I think there was a little kind of misunderstanding of what was really going on. I think if you look at it for what it is, it really is kind of just that energy reduction and moving the consensus mechanism away from proof of work to proof of stake. Now, if you can see that for what it is, then you understand kind of the complexities behind that. Um, but I think a lot of people thought this would kind of be the end-all, be-all, and, you know, we'd move away from gas fees and get faster transactions, when in reality, that's not the case. This kind of just sets the groundwork to deal with those problems at a later time. I think what we can celebrate is that they did tackle a pressing issue, which is reducing carbon emissions, so we should celebrate that. But... I think people need to kind of truly understand what's going on and just take it for what it is. Yeah. And, and uh, Jared, <clears throat> I think you and I were talking about before the price dipped about 10% uh, over the past 24 hours, um, which I, you know what, that, that's to be expected. Mm -hmm. um, but overall it's basically cruising, uh, I think at a normal, normal pace, but you know, to, to the other, you know, proof of work to proof of stake, um, you know, I've heard people uh, use the analogy of, you know, uh, uh, an air, two aircrafts, you know, flying simultaneously together, uh, and you're, you're basically swapping out the engine of one plane uh, mid-flight. And, you know, to the core Ethereum developer group, you know, thumbs up, uh, high fives. Uh, that's a tremendous feat mm -hmm. over many, many, many months that they were working on this. Um, so it's very impressive. Um, but, but ultimately, I mean, it is, you know, it's hours we're into this, not even days, you know. So we got to give it some time to breathe and see what the how the markets will react and how the developer community will react as well. I know some of the other coins like Polygon put out a tweet that this is only good news for them, obviously, a layer two protocol um that it that the same problems like gas fees and things aren't going to be fixed just yet that's down the line so to your point jared we're looking at maybe energy improvements but there's still and i don't even remember what the breakdown was but i know vitalik was talking about surge verge purge and splurge <laughs> i guess that's the that's a very eloquent way of putting the upcoming steps for us to expect but but it seems like this is good just for the crypto space in general. You know, it, like no one is is going to be knocked out completely. You're still going to see Solana. You're still going to see Avalanche. You're still going to see a lot of projects. And I think to your point, Rich, when you see this kind of almost development miracles taking place in this space, it, it's a testament to the people in Web3, right? Like we've got incredibly talented people working in this space. Some of the best minds right now are, are building on the blockchain, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always look towards the developer community, <clears throat> uh, it, it, whether it be 2.0 or, you know, 3.0, Web3, blockchain. Uh, blockchain developers are a special breed. 
they are 100% dedicated to this cause. They really, out of all groups, I mean, including myself and this group, we believe in in this. They believe in it. And they've put so much time. Some people, it's just a passion thing for them uh, because they know it will make uh, a transacting. It is the future of transactions, but it's also the future of trust. Um, and it's a much better network um, to, to work on, much more sophisticated, much more um, secure as well. So, you know, hats off, definitely. Do you miss, do you miss the old mining days? You've told us a bit. Jared and and, my, <laughs> and and me about your old Ethereum mining days. It's not, <laughs> it sounds so antiquated. Like, oh, how quaint! Uh, the old days of Ethereum mining. Yeah, yeah, that that was a fun, and I, I considered it as an experiment. I was just trying to get you know back in I think 2017 um, was mining Ethereum and really trying to get used to the idea of you know joining pools and you know playing with the numbers and, and, you know, keeping spreadsheets and of, of energy and costs and hardware costs and how it all nets out. Um, you know, that was a great experiment. I'm glad I did it. Um, you know, but at some point, you know, living in New York, it was a little bit challenging with, uh, some of the, uh, uh you know, utility, bills, utility bills. Bills. Yeah. yeah, they started piling up and then you have to crunch the numbers again. And, you know, and plus your house gets really hot unless you create some elaborate cooling system. Um, but overall, you know, it was a great, great experiment for me. I learned a lot and that was the goal. I got out of it what I wanted. Um, made a few uh, few ETH here and there with it. And, um, you know, it, life is good. So you cover your costs, you learn. That's all you can ask for. I, think, I guess the big concern now for those who want to make money uh, on Ethereum is staking and, and seeing, you know, there's that sort of 32 uh, ETH uh, solo uh, amount that you have to be staking. But then I guess it, it appears, although I guess we're not 100% sure on all the details, but it looks like you can pool together, hopefully, so people will still be able to take if I have 10 and you have 20 or something and combine them together and still earn some money. But it's definitely a completely different model. And that makes me wonder, uh, Rich, uh, where do you think the uh, where do you think the miners are going to go? Because there were a lot of is it just back to Bitcoin, I guess. Yeah, they'll they'll um, any other networks that allow you know hardware mining or you know proof of work, um, they can go to um, for some some of the you know smaller alts uh, if they choose. But certainly, Bitcoin is you know um, is definitely the choice I would make. Uh, if I, if I had to swap over, the, the, you know the issue is it's a, it's a little bit harder to um, to to mine um, uh, the the um, the amount of bitcoins. You know it's not as you know abundant as as it was before. And then you also when you're talking about mining in this this way, you also have to look at you know six months, a year, two years, three years out. And, you know, uh, some of the analysts that I li- listen to are, are predicting a happening sooner rather than later, which will make it even more, uh, you know, exponentially more uh, difficult to, to um, or uh, have fewer uh, uh, options or uh, coins to mine. And that so, creates some yeah, stability, it's really interesting. right? That creates more stability for the asset, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the ha- the happenings are always great. There's always a lot of hype around it, um, so I- I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, but there's also something else, Matt. You know, that's coming up with proof of work versus proof of stake, um, and it's the idea of you know the 32 ETH, which roughly equates to I, I would guess 48 to close to fifty thousand dollars of fiat cash um, to play in that world. Um, is it a tremendous amount of money? Uh, not really. We're not talking about millions to play, but it is, it is a barrier to entry for a lot of people. Um, and it begs the question, you know, some of the conversations we've been having and, uh, you know, uh, uh, other, um, uh, you know, uh, crypto experts have been having is, you know, is it fair, right? Is it fair that anyone over 32 ETH can really just drop it in and, you know, instant money-making machine, which it pretty much is, right? So, it you know, does it cause, um, will it cause a riff in the community? Um, possibly. I think it's a little early to see. 
But the other kind of conceptual thing people are, are, are kind of pointing to is the idea of a truly centralized network going towards a more um, a, a decentralized network going towards a more centralized network. Um, we don't know if it's if that's going to have a profound effect uh, on how people perceive perceive it because the whole impetus or the the foundation of of blockchain and cryptocurrencies is that it is decentralized, right? So I think you get a lot of purists um, looking at this and saying, hey, are we going more centralized? Because that's what we've been fighting against. Um, so it's a really interesting question, like, you know, community-wide, you know, blockchain-wide uh, question that we, we have to talk about and you know, explore over time. You're saying regulatory pressure on uh, large stakeholders, effectively, right? Yeah. So, so some of the the bigger players within this universe have been, you know, very compliant with regulations, um, and <clears throat> some people see that as a no go. Like, like that's not good. You're giving in. Personally, and we've talked about this a little bit before in the past, Matt, is I think you do need some regulations. You know, imagine, you know, the NASDAQ running wild. Uh, it's crazy. It's hard to keep your hands, you know, uh, uh, your eyes and hands on uh, on everything as you're, you know, as a regular investor or even a, a bank or a fi larger financial institution. Um, because they, you know it could run it can run wild and out of control. Um, I think there are more inherent um, speed bumps put in place uh, with cryptocurrency and cryptography in general. But it's still you know we've seen some bad actors out there. Um, we've seen some networks you know hits the moon and then crash down you know to the core of the earth. It, it, it's it's real, and some of these problems are you know stem from you know our you know faulty arbitrage models or stable coins that are not truly stable. Um, you know, there's many many fingers you can point at at this, but at the end of the day, a little bit of regulation within con within you know a, a controlled environment is a good thing. Um, uh, you know, do we, it just, and it's like Pandora's box with this one, guys. Uh, it, it's, it, it, you know, do we actually have people in place that want regulations that truly understand the space? My answer is probably no. There might be some folks out there that maybe flip sides and, you know, go work for the government or big banks or whatever. Um, right now, I don't think we're poised to make those right decisions together. The idea is together. And I think once the government, big banks understand that if you're going to set off and try and change the world within this world, there's a series of developers out there that are going to get together and they're going to beat you. Although in Faster fairness, Gary Gensler, I mean, he seems to understand it quite well, right? I mean, he's pretty... That's a guy, I mean, he taught crypto at MIT. That's, I mean, I watched some of the courses. They're pretty, this is not someone who doesn't understand the space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Gensler definitely um, under, understands the space. Hopefully, you know, you want people like that who have been playing and investing and building in the space to have a voice for a lot of, a lot of other people. It's a, it, that, to me, that position is a pressure cooker. Um, you know, any of the crypto czars or whoever they put in place in the future, um, that's a pressure cooker because you've, you, you've got a community that is fairly, uh, I wouldn't say divided, but, you know, you've got a community who has opinions. Um, you know, the develop, like I said before, the developer community is super strong. They have opinions and they're smart. So um, you have to, you can't ram things down people's throats you have to play nice. You have to be bipartisan. You have to have the d difficult conversations with development communities so you understand how things work and you can make the right regulatory decisions for your country or your company, for that matter. Jared, bouncing back a little bit, I remember we talked about this off the podcast. Um, in terms of, of sort of that centralized control, 
it, you made a great point, which is, in a sense, couldn't you perceive the fact that miners with massive budgets already had a network advantage? So really, this trans this transition from proof of work to proof of stake, in some ways, it's still the same dynamic. It's just maybe the tools have shifted a little bit. Uh, what do you th think about it? I thought that was a great point. Yeah, I mean, you see these kind of like massive mining farms out in Texas, these big warehouses that have thousands of GPUs mining Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, and you could argue that they were kind of becoming a centralized factor in the whole ecosystem. Um, now, what I would say kind of about going back to the merge and kind of the, the implications is, you know, one thing to point out is that um, I think it was around 14% of Ethereum was kind of just sitting in centralized exchanges like Coinbase or FTX or whatever it may be. People weren't doing anything with that Ethereum. This kind of opens up those people to, you know, start staking on those exchanges and actually participating and validating transactions. So I think that's uh something to point out um going back to kind of like the hardware issue at proof work i think one of the biggest criticisms um from moving to proof of stake from the miners will be that the inherent value that you could argue that the inherent value that comes from bitcoin and ethereum to some degree comes from the hardware behind it so i think that's kind of the biggest criticism you're going to hear from the miners but again another thing to think about is that all this ethereum that was kind of just sitting there people are going to start using to validate so you're going to see it on both sides. Yeah, it, that is interesting. Just the simple fact of freeing up um, uh, exponential amounts of um, ETH actually helps the market itself. Um, and it helps, you know, um, uh, application developers and, oh, and just simply from an overall awareness standpoint. It actually will flood the market a little bit, not the market itself, but the network itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit and actually foster and give us better numbers. It'll look better on paper um, and it'll actually, you know, do something for, for the network itself. So I think that's a great point, Jared. In terms of forking, do you think we're going to see a major split here moving ahead? You know, people who are, who are clinging to the old proof of work, or do you think this is pretty much the consensus that now we are, we're on proof of stake, baby. This is the future. <laughs> uh, I, Personally, I'm not, not really sure. I mean, I think this is kind of, it's kind of here to stay. Uh, again, it's too early. We're hours into this, yeah. not days or months. Um, and barring uh, any massive conceptual, you know, discussions or, 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 or technical issues, I think proof of, uh, of stake is, is probably here to stay for quite some time. Um, you know, it's playing nice, you know, it's green, you know, um, I personally, I never had a huge, that was never a huge thing for me. Um, I do see the value in it. Um, but I also see the value in hardware mining. If that's your choice. I mean, you know, please, like if we're not mining, we're gaming. It's just, you know, AMD is still going to make, uh, you know, chips, uh, Intel is still going to make chips fast and furious and people are going to keep buying. Them. So, what are we really doing? Um, you know, are we playing nice with um, governments, perhaps? Are we playing nice with uh, the overall uh, sentiment of, of the world? Yeah, of course. Going green is always good and it's more efficient, but there's a lot more benefits to um, uh, the merge than 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 just the green the green factor. I mean, this may be a retrospective thing now that we're moving in this direction, but I really liked uh, reading articles about the potential of of encouraging green energy, and then that excess energy could go into crypto mining and, and rewarding people for switching to greener energy, using kind of flipping the whole narrative on its head that actually your your electric usage is is encouraging that direction, not not discouraging it. So maybe things like that will continue. Perhaps that's a Bitcoin thing. Um, well, but, you know, Matt, you're, I, I think you're talking a little too rationally now. Let's get, let, <laughs> let's back up. Um, let's get you know, wacky. I mean, look, yeah. look, you know, look what's happening in the United States with, um, electric cars versus petrol, right. Or gas, you know, gasoline cars. Um, uh, we're being forced to buy Well, in my eyes, we're potentially being forced to buy 60 to $150,000 electric vehicles. Not everyone wants to spend or can spend $60,000 on an electric vehicle. We also have enrolling power outages in California. 
Um, there's a give and a take. I think, you know, once you start mandating people instead of rewarding, to your point, Matt, rewarding people for doing the right thing, people want to do the right thing. They like electric vehicles. I like electric vehicles myself. I don't own, well, actually, that's, I do have electric vehicles, a little bit on the smaller side, but um, people are not opposed to it. It's when you tell them they have to is when they become divided. Wait. So again, not to get into politics or it's just a, it, how you control the narrative and, and the, um, the conversation, invite people into the conversation. Don't ram it down their throats with regulations that you yourself as an organization or a government may not fully understand just yet. Well, even Elon Musk, I mean, the master of, of the electric car and, and creating greener energy in that sense has said there's still a need for petrol and that it, you know, it, it's a transition. It's not like you can just shut everything down immediately. There's still a necessity for it now as we transition to something greener. So yeah, the, the infrastructure is not yeah. even there yet. You know, um, people still get range anxiety with, with Tesla's. Um, you know, you look at, uh, I, I, news feeds from California, local, local Californians are like queuing up a mile long to get, you know, for charging stations. <laughs> I think there just needs to be a better strategy with the infrastructure to start um, and, and stop telling, not, stop ramming it down people's throats and give the choice and reward. Very true. And Jared, you missed out on this because in uh, Palo Alto, we were on a business trip, Rich and I, mm -hmm. and we were in a Ferrari with one of our partners. And <laughs> nice. that's quite an engine. And it reminds you of the fun of petrol. <laughs> but uh, absolutely. But at, at the same token, I've ridden, you know, I think when you ride in an electric car, you can't help but marvel at the speed and efficiency. And you're like, this actually is as fun as the sports car and the revving is. You're like, wow, that there's something, at least for the average use case. It's incredible to see your oh, car go from gosh. zero to 60 and there's no noise. It's just, it's so. Yeah. You know what, Matt? Uh, you know, I, I love, I love cars myself. Um, that Ferrari has just a beautiful exhaust it's a nice note. little purr. I mean, it's, yeah. it's for, for car people, the exhaust note is like, you know, beautiful <laughs> operatic music, not to get too nerdy, but you know, uh, that's been one of the, the actual funnier problems with electric cars. And Porsche, if you follow Porsche with some of their electric cars, beautiful 911 electric cars, uh, which say turbo on them, which is kind of funny. Uh, <clears throat> but they've piped in sound, exhaust sounds, mm -hmm. or Hilarious. kind of these sci-fi exhaust sounds uh, in a weird way, because it actually is part of being connected to the road, it's part of the whole experience. And, and that whole thing for car guys, it's not going to die anytime. Wait, wait, wait. So how's that work? Is you it like know? speakers? I was actually going to joke about like having speakers at the back that make a car sound. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're putting speakers in, you know, around the car, um, outside, outside. So it feels like it's coming, <laughs> you know, through the panels. Uh, so it's baffled a little bit. And, you know, they're playing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can go on your phone and, you know, Maybe change the Switch it, have it a Star Wars sound. Yeah, and yeah. you could even, you know, the, with technology comes some some perks. You know, you could actually have the sound in inside, but not outside. Very so your car is like whisper quiet on the road, but you still get that performance feel. Um, you know, people are people love uh, electric vehicles. I, I've been into this ever since I was a kid, seven years old. Had my first RC car was, uh, you know, remote control car. It was electric. It went fast. I still have them. I still love them. I build them all the time. Um, it's just a fun thing. It's cleaner. I've had gas-powered gas uh, hobbies. They're dirty. They're, you know, expensive. The gas is much more cleaner. It gives you a, a quicker thrill and, you know, much more fun, quicker. Um, you know, now my new thing is electric skateboards, absolutely oh, yeah, yeah. my new like passion love that is just pure freedom and 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 fun i see them ever have right. you tried those jared the electric <laughs> not yet but i but i'd like to i see everyone yeah, have a demo day at the office yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> so uh, i'm not responsible for any uh cracked skulls we'll wear helmets put it that way <laughs> yeah yeah it's all good it's so much fun you know you're cruising at 20 plus miles an hour you know 
carving. It's like surfing on the, the on asphalt. It's beautiful. Well, uh, well let's segue. Go ahead. I, I don't want to take us too far back, but uh, unlike the kind of the regulatory standards where we're getting pushed towards electric, Matt, to go back to your original question, I think like what happens with the with the miners, I think um, a lot of the people who are mining on Ethereum in the short term, obviously, we just move towards Bitcoin, right? And then the people who are more concerned, like have the environmental concerns will uh, end up validating through staking. But one point I wanted to make and kind of zooming out long term, long term is that at the end of the day, these are just two consensus mechanisms, proof of work and proof of stake. It's a way of validating a transaction. 10 years down the line, these might be outdated and there might be a different type of consensus mechanism that kind of dominates the blockchain space. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there and have people think about that, that, you know, we have these debates about proof of work and proof of stake. There's so many more developments that are going to come and we don't know that either of these will be the predominant consensus mechanism or way of validating transactions. Uh, excellent point. Really Jared. good point. Yeah. Really, really good point because it's all about validation. Mm -hmm. That's how the whole kit and caboodle works, right? The whole blockchain works. And we're so we're, we're 10 years in, but that is just a speck. It's a piece of sand, you know, in time. And this is pretty cool, very sophisticated technology as it is. Mm -hmm. And you're 100% right. What we'll, what we'll see in the next 10 years will be completely different than today. So that, and that, that sums it up. That, that's, that's called innovation and that's called progress, you know, um, both um, socially uh, and technologically. You could even have, uh, like, as we move to metaverse, and I think this will segue us into our next topic, Am I right, Jared? Like we could theoretically have certain actions or digital actions you perform that validate, right? I mean, it doesn't have to just be staking, just purely staking. Maybe you, you, you I don't know, solve a little minor problem or a game on your, on your VR Whatever. headset. Who knows what those could look like? There's an endless array of potential ways of validating, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not a, develop a developer, so I'm not going to speak on the actual technical <laughs> implications of that, but... If you use your imagination, yes, ideally something like that could be possible. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Yeah. I mean, to, to Jared's point, you know, whether you're in the metaverse at home working on your computers or your computer is idle, right now you can run on your laptop if you, you know, or your gaming PC when, it's, when you're not playing or working, you can have your machine validating in, in the background. And who's to say that maybe you build something within the metaverse that actually is pretty sophisticated, uses cryptography, uses the blockchain, but it's a di completely different tool or whatever game or mechanism, but it's actually running in the background mm -hmm. and it's doing some work for you or doing work for your DAO or your community. Who knows? So let's transition a little bit because, Jared, you were talking about this and this is so cool and so interesting. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Artifact, uh, the Clone X NFTs. And of course, I guess we're going to see what happens to the price of them now with everything changing. Hopefully, they'll maintain. But I'm going to do a little screen share here and just maybe give us an overview because this is really a unique space of, of being able to use or buy real clothing and then have that correspond to your digital self. And I think these are the kinds of transformations that we're seeing here at ARC, the kinds of things that we're looking down the road at. Yeah, so I guess to kind of introduce who Artifact is and how they became prominent, um, back in early 2021, they became big because they did a uh, digital, digital sneaker sale and they raised $3.1 million in seven minutes of the sale. Um, the founders of Artifact, you have Benoit Pagodo, who comes from, he was a marketing director for a lot of different esports brands. Um, Fnatic is one that jumped out to me that I had seen. So he kind of comes from the whole gaming digital space. Um, you have Chris Lee, who is a designer for very popular games such as Counter-Strike. He was a skin designer. And then you have uh, this, this guy named Zaptio, who is like a very big fashion influencer in the space. So them three together kind of saw this big... Um, gap and one one thing that stuck out to me that that benoit had been talking about i watched a couple interviews with him um preparing for this podcast is he felt like people and brands didn't truly understand how big the digital and gaming space was and that they mm. weren't um 
branding it correctly or, or transitioning into their brands. So with those three brains together, they came, they, they all came together and, and started artifact with that idea. And, um, and, and we'll speak on, on the forge and what that is, but their whole idea going into it was how are we going to bridge the gap between digital and physical? And I think that's kind of like the biggest thing with, with artifact. And, and Jared, you know, as we've been talking about this, it, it is fascinating and Artifact teamed up with Nike, right? And then we were looking at mm-hmm. what Adidas did. And this is, a, this is a brand game, and this is a very valuable lesson to learn as branders, right? So to your earlier point, Jared, you know, people in general, organizations, companies, brands, they don't really realize how uh, prolific the whole gaming environment is, whether it's casual or multiplayer uh, consoles or, you know, gaming PCs or what the, all the entire universe is huge. The whole metaverse is going to be predicated on it. You, and you, you, you can't ram old school marketing and branding um, techniques or, or thinking into a very, I would say uh, ref, it's becoming more refined a uh, gaming environment because people will sniff you out in two seconds and call you, you know, <laughs> call BS uh, on, on certain things. And certain marriages or unions or partnerships don't always work, right? So if we look at some of like Nike generated $185 million from in revenue just from NFTs, but they partnered with, um, you know, with the right folks, you know, Artifact has been in that game to your point for a very long time. Then you look at um, Adidas, they walked out with 10.9 million. Mm-hmm. Do you think Nike what, though would have done just as well because they're Nike. I mean, like they just, they're, they are the king of that space. Regardless. I would, I would say, and, and mm. this is something that the founders of artifact credit to Nike, they let artifact kind of do their own thing. They, they understand that these guys truly understand the space probably more than the higher ups and people who have kind of been in the traditional branding and marketing space. And they really let them, let them do their thing. Um, a quote I wanted to share, and this comes from Benoit, one of the, one of the founders, he says, we started with the vision that in the future, what you possess digitally will be more valuable than what you possess physically, both on emotional and an economic level. I think that's a very impactful statement. And he's thinking in a way that a lot of brands aren't, but in the future, I think that's something that these brands will kind of have to adhere to. And it's not going to be such a transactional kind of thing anymore when it comes to, you know, a consumer and the brand, it's going to be, you know, what, what can the brand do for the community? And I think that's kind of like a big transition that we're going to see. I also think that, um, artifact in, you know, the, the, the group, the organization, the company, they have their finger on the pulse of what's actually going on. Who are the hot artists? Where are our users? What are they tuning into? I would love a sneak peek under their hood uh, as far as, you know, metrics and, and social listening and truly understanding both the art world the t- and the technology world and then seaming it together into a brand and marketing uh, initiative. Mm-hmm. And that's the golden, that's the golden ticket, right? Um, understanding what's going to work with certain partnerships. And it, it has been partnerships. I mean, you know, uh, if we looked at we look at um, CryptoPunks and Tiffany's, mm-hmm. right? That was pretty cool. Was it a blockbuster? Uh, did it make the numbers that they wanted? We're not sure yet. Um, but I mean, it did pretty well, actually. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool, and it actually worked. And it showed that uh, Tiffany's was kind of really shifting gears. That was Who a surprising one. Imagine? It did not feel like the kind of company to embrace that technology. That was one of the coolest brand marriages I've seen. But that's but that's where I'm going with Artifact. They get it. Mm -hmm. They Mirakami, you know, hot, hot, hot. You you know, the marriage between Mirakami and sneakerheads, Mm -hmm. like and gaming and skins and boom, win, 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 win. Like it just checked all the boxes. And you know what? Going into it, they're like, this could be a a giant cluster bomb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It could blow up in her face. but it didn't, and I don't think it will. And I think there'll be lessons, not that it's a playbook. I think there'll be lessons to be learned uh, from this. And they're very important brand and marketing lessons. 
Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that's interesting too, Jared, is uh, you know people are buying expensive, exclusive clothing anyway, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you buy Supreme or whatever, that I mean, you, you walk outside any major sneaker store and you see lines stretching around the corner. So, you know, giving you a digital asset that you can use as well when, let's be realistic, like 90% of our lives are digital now, kind of makes a lot of sense. You get a physical sweater or a hoodie or sneakers or a hat, but then you also get it to represent in your digital world as well. Um, yeah. Curious to hear if your thoughts. You, yeah. Yeah. If you kind of grew up in the space that these guys did, that a lot of Generation Z, my generation has, you, you really need to kind of move past the idea that something digital doesn't have inherent value. And again, to someone like me that I, I've seen that proof of concept before, I mean, go look at the, the revenue share of a, of a company like Riot Games or Valve or Epic Games, and you'll begin to understand that these digital objects do have value in, in people's lives. And, you know, someone, someone who's 15 years old right now, they've been in this digital world for, for 10 years now. And they're starting to get older, and and that's going to have massive implications on on brands and marketing and how we how we transact with with our favorite companies. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it's if if you're not kind of looking in that direction, and don't understand that you know the people growing up right now have had these digital experiences that in to some degree might be even better memories or experiences than things they've done in the real world. And I think you're kind of looking in the wrong direction if you can't see that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, I'm of a different generation, but, you know, I got my first computer and started gaming when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you what date, that, what, what year that was. But, I've, but you know what, Jared, to your point, I still talk about my first computer. Mm-hmm. I still talk about my second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, twentieth computer. I just love it. I have an attachment with my computers and specific brands, therefore, you know, um, and, and, and it brings up an interesting question of, you know, what brands really like in, if we're talking about the NFT space, like what brands really could survive there? Right. And and it's one of those things. And I think we're going to dip into the whole Starbucks thing, uh, Odyssey thing in a little bit. But what like for me to buy an NFT I have to have a real strong affinity for that artist. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, are they uh, uh, someone that's um, uh, you know, you know, burging or budding and you know on on the rise? You know, that's one thing. Is it like Mur- Murakami, who's completely saturated pop culture uh, and is larger than life? You know. Um, what are those brands that people will want to attach an NFT and keep it forever? You know, uh, I love music equipment. I know like, Hey, I'd love to work with, with Moog, you know, uh, people buy them, they keep them and they're, they treated like children, mm-hmm. like they're like the, you know, second or third child. Um, people have real affinities for, for certain brands and maybe they, it, they, it would lean heavier towards, accepting an NFT or a digital asset that can, could appreciate over time or give you utility or joy ex- or an extended experience. Um, and I think the whole uh, idea of brand experience is, is a must have in this world, mm-hmm. right? So it starts with art, it starts with music too, um, any kind of art form. Uh, and it's a visceral, or visceral uh, experience you own it indelibly. Um, you can trade it. Now it becomes like a little marketplace and it becomes an asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brand itself becomes an asset. Um, this is the, you know, this is the future of, of marketing and, and branding that, that this team is really interested in digging into is like, what are those brand marriages? What would work? Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what ultimately just looks forced. One of the things yeah. that's going to be, Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, to further your point, I, I'll say that um, I do think kind of like the fashion houses and these kind of streetwear type brands will be the first um, kind of companies to, to dive headfirst into this. But I, another point I just thought of and I, and I want to make was like, if you, ha- I don't know, I, I think to my like little cousins or uh, Rich, maybe to your kids, like if 
if you had the choice between taking away, you know, maybe a, a toy or whatever it may be, or taking away their Roblox or Minecraft account, a what's going to what's going to be harder on them? And it, and the answer is probably the Minecraft or Roblox account. So just to kind of like further that idea that these digital experiences really mean something. I mean, I also come from a generation where the amount of times that I've you know gone out somewhere and and you'll hear someone say, you know, I'm just going for the pictures. What that means is I'm going because I want to, you know, show off on my digital profile. And that's more meaningful to me than the actual physical experience. So it's just like these little things that I pick up on that my generation is is starting to come and become of age where we're going to be the dominant consumer at some point. So you kind of want to have your your finger on this and kind of understand the pulse of of the generation that's coming up. I was 100%. 100%. I was going to add an even more interesting. You have those... uh facebook glasses right i'm forgetting the name of the weather i'm forgetting the exact name of them but when we look at ar and you look at the concept that say we buy an nft you buy a shirt in the digital space if we're wearing these glasses all the time you're going to see the representation the digital representation and the physical world completely blend like right now we're still kind of in clunkyville because you hold a phone which is this kind of it's your ar device sort of but you have to hold it up and we're constantly holding this thing but once it becomes more integral Anything you buy, anything you wear, it's there everywhere, like literally everywhere you go. Yeah, I agree. And I, I listen, what the scope of kind of that AR world looks like, I don't know. But I think if, if you're just looking a little bit further ahead in terms of like user experience and what's what's coming up next and kind of meshes well with this whole world you are right it is that kind of ar glasses experience and you know now you walk around and, and you're wearing what in the real world is is just like a, a plain t-shirt but it has this nft attached to it that when you're looking in the ar glasses it it does something unique or you could see that it's a, a one of 200 fear of god t-shirt whatever it may be so i i think you're kind of hitting the the head of the nail on that one. Oh man that sounds Sounds slightly sci-fi and fun, uh, you know. Like uh, you ever see the movie They Live, where if you put on this, the the glasses, you can see all the obey, obey uh, the alien kind of posters, and yeah. it's a whole alternate reality. Uh, super cool. Yeah, you could be wearing fashion. In fact, we should talk about this here. You're creating fashion that only could be seen through uh, augmented lenses right. or whatnot. That I think is pretty hot idea. Or maybe That's it only really activates something way. like it's a regular shirt until you put on the glasses and then a dragon is coming out or something. Yeah. Or like QR that. code or something yeah. or some kind of code. That's fascinating. It's always weird the way these brands become popular. You know, you look at uh, like Supreme and Rich, we've talked about this a little bit. Like Supreme, people think Supreme is original, but Supreme has sort of a unique history, right? It actually is kind of a clone of a previous idea of a previous idea anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things. Being having been in technology and especially design for so many years, you everyone has everything is a derivative of something, right? And what is truly unique? Usually, what's truly unique is actually what's happening with Artifact and, and other com- companies and other collaborations. It's the merging of old and new, uh, and and making something interesting. You know, in the terms of Supreme, uh, the, 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 you know, that was co-opted by Barbara Kruger, you know, a graphic designer who did, you know, advertisements in the, the 70s and 80s, you know, um, fairly prolific uh, campaigns, really big, bold, knockout, red, white, uh, Futura type um, messaging. And, and that was co-opted by Supreme. Supreme now has been co-opted by every single individual. <laughs> I feel um, like there's nothing it, where it, I don't it, see that font memified somewhere. It, it, it kind of is like, it, it's like the reverse conversation of an NFT. Like if you under, like to Jared's point, if you understand NFTs and digital assets, you're like, yeah, sign me up. Love it. I want that, this, that, and the other thing. You get involved in every aspect of it. But Supreme was co-opted before, <laughs> co-opted, stolen, and reproduced so much that it's no longer supreme. Is it fair to say it's stolen? Something though? else? Because in a sense, isn't that art? Isn't art sort of the dialogue of just taking someone else's thing? And you know, like I think of Andy Warhol and the the Campbell soup can. I mean, that's not technically his design, but it's redefining someone else's work and then repurposing it in a new way. 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, Andy Warhol is a, a great example. He he, but he was making a political or a social statement w with his work, meaning uh, I'm going to turn the fine art world on its head and mass produce. Actually, his studio was called the Factory for a reason. He 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 was a master of branding. He was the, he, I mean, Andy, he was the original NFT him. factory. <laughs> but, but basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like, I'm going to put out, um, you know, uh, a series of uh, headshots of presidents, one president or a famous actress, and reproduce it a thousand, two thousand times with slight color changes. That's NFT generation. Like, that's, that's what we do on NFTs. You know, we want a thousand, but we want to augment them just a little bit so everyone feels like they have something special. Mm -hmm. But the the commentary was, ah, art is not that special, and here's why. I'm going to reproduce it, and in turn, he turned it into a new art form. And Rich, I'm, Rich, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts, and and I think you could kind of harp on this pretty well. Um, just <laughs> I I feel like when you start to think about the idea of these brands kind of creating value for their communities, right? Right now, if I in, on the topic of Supreme, I go out, I buy a Supreme T-shirt, you know, I, I wear it around. It, cool. At the end of the day, it was just a transaction. I'm I'm supporting Supreme. It's a brand I like. What does it do for kind of you know the way you feel about a brand when they're now creating value for you as someone who supports them how like i, I feel like if that's the direction we're going on and brands are doing this successfully these other brands don't really have a choice and they're going to like it, it's going to become an expectation that if i'm supporting a specific brand i'm also getting something back and maybe i'm also providing something to that brand as well well, I think there's the, the I, it's a really great question. I think from a branding perspective, there, you know, since the dawn of advertising and marketing, um, the idea is that there is a bit of give and take. Mm -hmm. Most of the brands just really kind of take. Mm -hmm. I, uh, uh, as we go, it, it's a much more philosophical question, actually, mm -hmm. or discussion in the sense that the whole advent of Web3 is the people taking control back, mm -hmm. whether it's their data, their investments, their whatever it is, information, um, brands now have to give back a little bit more. And I think they're, they're going to have to learn that delicate, that, that gray area. What is that sweet spot in which I'm giving too much and it costs too much to actually do, or it's just enough that people feel like they're included. And people want to have like our, our you know, earlier conversation, they want more of an attachment to, to brand. Mm -hmm. They want it. If they love it, they'll go after it. Um, you know, but it is that delicate balance between, you know, what you're going to give. Uh, and I think everything, every NFT, whether it be art-driven or very sophisticated next-level NFTs, like smart, truly smart contracts, have an obligation to give the end user um, you know, utility, mm -hmm. give them something back. It might be in, in the, in the, in the, you know, the world of, you know, artifact, it's, it's, in, it's very interesting. They could take that a next step further. And it's like, well, I got the shoes. I got the NFT. It's my swag. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share it on my social networks. Now I can wear it in, in my games. Like that's cool. That is true utility. That is extending a brand's life mm -hmm. beyond Almost the, the best example of that I've seen in years. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, to me, it's utility. Now, when we so we're talking, like maybe we just lead into um, Starbucks a little bit. What you know? What you know? It, a rewards points have been around forever. What am I actually getting when I buy the digital frappuccino or whatever I'm buying there? Um, what am I getting? Is it a, you know, and I think this world is a little bit open, uh, is opening up a little bit more. And I, I, one, I love it because it's Starbucks, you know, not my brand. I'm not in love with it, but, you know, half the planet are, mm -hmm. you know, they, they are in love with it, whether it's the taste or the brand or who, who knows, the customer service. Not sure why so many people love it, but, um, you know, at, what are they going to offer? Well, so a successful story for them 
would be offering something that really gives people value. Well, I get free overtime. I get free, um, uh, free coffee mm-hmm. or I can hold my avatar can hold at the Frappuccino and I'm swagging in my game, you know, or there's a Starbucks store that I can actually earn points and use within and buy. Maybe you're at a concert and you buy all your friends, a virtual concert, you buy all your friends cappuccinos. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're like, playing a metaverse game and uh, your character gets nitro energy or something. It can unlock super speed. You know, it's caffeinated. I just want to give you the quote just for a little context as we discuss this. So this is from Brady Brewer, Starbucks executive, vice president, and chief marketing officer. And so he's saying, leveraging Web3 technology will allow our members to access experiences and ownership that was not possible before. Starbucks Odyssey, that's what it's called, will transcend the foundational benefits that our Starbucks Rewards members have come to love and unlock digital, physical, and experiential benefits that are truly uniquely Starbucks. So it sounds like they're, they're, and their mission statement is pretty ambitious, but we're pretty early phase in terms of knowing what, you know, what that ex- exactly looks like. Yeah, I love that they're getting involved in it. Um, uh, it's a it, what I call, you know, it's a uh, you know a door opener for a lot of people, especially if you don't have wallets set up and they, they they work with more of a a fiat or credit card exchange to begin with. Um, you know, it's connecting those dots that you just mentioned, all of those little touch points: physical, digital, uh, experiential, in store, out of store. How they connect the dots? That's what will will make them shine or not. Are you a big Starbucks guy, Jared? Uh, no, not necessarily. I love their brand though. And I, and I do think people really <laughs> have a, a big, you know, affinity for Starbucks's brand. And over the years watching it develop, it's been very interesting. They have a, what, a loyalty program with 20 million people, right? <laughs> so-, right so they already they already have this massive loyalty program. So And it's not like they're just like a small brand and kind of just can like experiment and stuff like this. So they must be seeing something massive when it comes to this because there's like why else would they be changing their existing model when you have one of the biggest um, loyalty programs in the space? Is it maybe the biggest yeah, loyalty so- program in the world? I mean, 20 million people. That seems, I don't know if there is a bigger loyalty program. Is Sam's Club that big? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's some out there that, that kind of um, can keep up with them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, royalty, you know, loyalty is about getting rewards. So they have to, it can't land, it can't land flat. It needs to be very dynamic. Um, the experiences have to be interconnected and that therein lies the challenge. Like it is connecting those dots. Um, you know, let, we got to see, see where it goes. I think I mean, they I can think really kind of bring up a discussion and something we talk about all the time. And I think it's one of our core beliefs is that kind of the biggest thing that's, that we need to see happen to drive web three adoption is kind of, you know, easier access, better usability, and one thing I had mentioned yesterday that I wanted to kind of repeat was like something like an NFT for that technology to become adopted. I think we truly need to stop using the word NFT and the day where that comes, we will see kind of mass adoption. And like, in my opinion, the most important thing that we're seeing from Starbucks Odyssey is that, you know, they're not even using the term NFT. They're not even using the term wallet. They're using stamps instead of nfts and i think if that that can stick you know and and things like that start to happen with brands web3 adoption will kind of just happen naturally and you won't even really know that it's happening i have mixed feelings um and that's a fantastic point uh jared um nfts the the term could be contested six ways from sunday six Mm -hmm. ways from sunday just from a naming standpoint um but the idea of um, uh, uh, technology drifting into the background has been nothing new. Apple did it. Mm-hmm. You know that was actually the foundational ethos of Apple: is make the technology go away, make it into a toaster, stupid proof. My grandmother can use it. Everyone can use it. Um, you know that was that was the the thing. You know. For blockchain, you know, yes, I, I agree. The the word NFT is becoming like eh, it's not a dirty word, but it's like eh, it's 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 very pigeonholed now. Yeah. The idea is just like Web three. We have Web three capabilities. What does that mean? Well, we can onboard you with a credit card. You'll have a wallet. 
when you choose to activate that wallet and, and exchange and or participate in Web3 activities on the blockchain, that's when you can get into it. But you'll still have them. You'll still have a, a, a 2.0 uh, you know, interface that's no different than what we use for Amazon or any other um, uh, you know, uh, uh, outlet or, or brand or service. Um, it'll just fade into the background mm -hmm. um, and make it easier. And, and this leads to a bigger conversation, um, which I, you know, we can't get into now. Uh, I think we have a, some time, some time buffers here, but the idea of um, truly Web three and kind of Web three mm -hmm. applications. You know, most of what's out there right now are using Web two technologies and Web3 to validate and then send information back. To me, there are some security issues there um, and experience issues. The, as that gap closes, you know, and we get closer to pure play Web3, that's when things get very interesting, especially for myself uh, and, and, and the industry itself. But yep, technology needs to go away. I also think it's going to be interesting to see how much, and it is a good point, Jared, like they're really, every time they say it, they're calling it a journey stamp and then in parentheses NFT, just so you understand what they're talking about, but they're really not <laughs> leaning into that term. But it's going to be interesting to see how much those stamps uh, really create their own little economy. Can I, how, where can you use them? How much can you use them? Is it really purely within, you know, Starbucks and their ecosystem and their immediate partners, or will it become something very tradable that, you know, starts to take on a life of its own. I suspect, like like we're saying, they see something there. And, uh, yeah, this is a whole additional episode to unpack what you're saying, Rich, in terms of what is true Web3. Is this Web3 light? But nevertheless, it's a great entry point, I think, for people, right? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, love, love Starbucks or hate Starbucks, or you're in between. It's awesome to see them do this. Mm -hmm. I want to see Apple do this. I want to see Samsung doing this. I want to see the, all the big players opening up their doors and saying, yeah, there's a new way to enjoy our brand and trade within a community. Mm -hmm. That's dynamite. That's like, that's a win right off the bat. And it is about numbers. Unfortunately, um, it is, it is about, you know, 20 million, you know, loyal customers or, or, loyalty customers uh, within the rewards program. They're taking advantage of it, but it also is a, a very big experiment for them. Uh, and, I, you know, I wish them well, and I want to see this succeed because it is. They, they, all these brands, whether you like it or not, you know, some people will say, oh, it's just like flavor of the week. It's a gimmick. Well, they're, they're jumping on something hot because they see people and large communities going towards this. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, whatever they do from a marketing and branding standpoint, it is an experiment and we can learn from it and they will learn from it. So I love seeing this and I love that it's in the news and we just, th this is what we love, you know, this group loves. I think as we wrap up, uh, and Jared, this is something we always do in every episode, as you know, uh, we always do the key takeaways. So it's a little different because we're all kind of arc arcsters or people here at ARC, but, <laughs> what what of what we discussed here are you most excited about in the coming months? Are you most excited about the merge? Are you are you excited about uh, you know digital wearables and and what what's a key takeaway you would want people walking away from this podcast to take for today? That's tough because we we've, we've talked about a lot, but it definitely it's <laughs> um, a pretty big span there. It definitely would come from kind of what I was saying before about the way, you know, we're going to kind of communicate and feel about branding in the future. And that, you know, Rich, to what you were saying before, like these these brands that are kind of trying to, you know, capture a moment in time, I think are making a, a, a massive mistake. They don't and don't truly understand the implications of the digital age and, and what's coming, because anyone who truly understands blockchain knows that these things are forever and will always know that if you know, when this becomes truly mainstream that, you know, 10 years ago, X brand, you know, just kind of tried to capture a massive market share and people in this space, people on the internet, we don't like that. And, um, so that, that's kind of what I would want people to start to think about was, was, is what's coming next and how the younger generation has kind of interacted digitally. And I, I love that Jared. And just to, to kind of wrap up on my end, uh, and to add what, to, to what Jared was saying is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Jared was totally gone. 
be authentic in your approach. If it is shady and it's just like flavor of the week and we're going to jump on it, but there's no value there or it's just false flat. That has lasting implications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can overcome it and get out of it depending on how big your brand is, of course, or small. Um, but that's authenticity is king. Um, I'm excited uh, to, to track uh, Artifact and other companies like this who are making these really smart partnerships. I, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the great experiment, this, this, this whole experiment of, of branding and marketing. And whether it works or doesn't work, look, we're the, we are the architects. We are pushing. Uh, this whole community is pushing this forward. Um, and some of us are going to fall on our face. But you know what? The community is going to pick you up. And, you know, barring if you, you know, uh, you know, Do Kwan, I'm not sure about these days, but, you know, they're going to pick you up if you, you know, if you didn't radically wreck someone's life or community. Um, it's a very welcoming uh, community, and I'm looking forward to what brands are going to actually do with this and how they're going to harness the power of their brands. Um, I'm definitely into the merge. Um, too early to say anything really uh, poignant about that or any results on that. But um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to move forward. I think it, it, the benefits are there. Um, it was, it was, it's a smart strategy that um, Vitalik and the core developer team has put together, and I think it'll do quite well and, and blossom over time. I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I'm excited to see people. We don't know. A lot of these projects are still a bit amorphous. They're in their early phases. But I'm excited to see people doing something. I'm excited to see them moving forward with enthusiasm. And this reminds me of a quote from Steve Jobs. I think it's, he said a lot of things, but I think this is one of his best quotes. And he says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. And I just think that's so true for for blockchain right now that we all know there's something on the horizon everyone's looking for that airtight description but we're uncovering it we're unpacking it that's what we're doing here on this show so absolutely so yeah and that's the fun part it's a challenging part but it's the fun part so to that point so. uh jared thanks so much for joining us today this has been great uh we'll awesome. continue the conversation offline and uh for our listeners be sure to continue uh following us on discord and we'll provide those links, of course, and follow us on arctai.com. And uh, we'll let you get going, Rich. So <laughs> thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you so much, everyone.